here's a few announcements, but first of all, welcome to First Baptist Church this morning. Um, today is, you know, we're, we're in the middle of Labor Day weekend, and hopefully a bunch of us get a break, but God never rests. He's always on the job. He's always in it to save people. Um, so as we get going, there's a few announcements that we have this morning. One of them, um, just starting out, we've got a few things that are starting up, kind of the fall time, everything get going kind of stuff. So first of all, this Wednesday, youth group, where's the youth people? Are you here? Or are you hiding? All right. So youth starts this Wednesday uh, alongside midweek worship. So that's like a music time, a, a worship time, and we come and we meet here, and then there, you can kind of go from there. So uh, that starts Wednesday. Um, on the 10th, so that's next Sunday, a week from today, there's a tough question Sunday, cl school, uh, Sunday school class that's going to begin. And so bring your tough questions and think about them. They're going to tackle a few a week. And, and so if you want to do that, it starts at 9 o'clock in the morning. And that's going to be downstairs in what's called the green room or room 107. You'll see the old green carpet, and that's why it's called the green room, if you're not familiar with it yet. Also, the next Wednesday after that, so the 13th, that's when Awana's signups are going to start. So where's all the Awana's age kids? There we go. They like to raise their hands. Okay, all right. Middle school and high school is like, no, not me. So, But they're still willing to raise their hands. That's awesome. So that's going to start on the 13th, and or the signups will start the 13th, and there will be a taco bar dinner as well during that time. So kids get to do something. You get to sign them up for doing something. Great learning God's word and have tacos. I can't imagine a better time than that. Um, next thing, um, there is a clipboard here. And so the stowers are expecting. And we are expecting with them. And the baby, baby girl is due. And so what we want to do is just bless them with some meals when that time comes around. There's some dates on there when it's going to start, with, about when they're expecting baby girl to be on the way. And there's some things that they like to enjoy, some some not our favorite kinds of things on the list. So if you're willing to help provide during that time, just make it a little easier on the family. We love to be there as a church family for one another. So I'm going to pass it this way. When it gets to the back there, do you mind jumping it to the back and then passing it forward? Is that doable? All right, cool. So with all of that, why don't we go ahead and stand up, and we're going to read this month's monthly verse. I'm 40, but I, I still can't see that. So, um, It's on your bulletin. It's on my bulletin. So if you know it, say it with me. All right. Psalm 98, 5 and 6. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Psalm 98, 5 and 6. All right. Well, hey, church. My name's Shane. If you're new here, I am the pastor um, here for, have been for about a year now. Guys, we've survived a first year. By God's grace, by God's grace. And it has been an amazing journey as a church. We have been jumping back into the book of Mark, and we discovered um, in the first part of the book of Mark was Jesus elaborating on this thing called the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And so he begins to unpack and teach what is the kingdom going to be like. And then there's this climactic part in chapter 8 where Peter steps up and Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter steps up and what does he say? 
You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And so that begins this change, this shift in the urgency of Jesus, who is now going from just teaching generally to now he has a destination. His destination is Jerusalem and the cross. And so he's beginning to walk from that confession of Peter. Now he's taking the disciples with him to Jerusalem, where he will give his life for our sins and give us his righteousness. And so as he does that, there's this urgency that pops up in the Bible. And now Jesus knows that he's at, he's got limited time with these guys, and now he has to start to show them that heavenly thinking, that life in the kingdom of heaven is very different from earthly thinking or thinking in terms of how this life functions apart from God. And so we call that the kingdom contrast. We're comparing, or Jesus is radically comparing the difference between heavenly living on this earth and earthly living on this earth. It's an incredible contrast that we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 9. And as we do, how many of you know, or as you've been a parent, you realize that parenthood is something that God uses to teach you a lot about himself? I see my parents like almost tearing. Yeah, like, yes, every single day God teaches me. I'll never forget, um, many of you know that, and she's sitting here in the first row, that we had Juby um, not too long ago. She's about three months now. But her first few minutes in life were not as easy as the joy that she has been these last three months and I'll never forget what God taught me in that moment. I remember going into the ER room, and uh, uh, Stowers, I hope this doesn't uh, scare you at all, okay? This is, this is <laughs> it just gives me the, so, yeah. so, well, this is my fourth too, and I'll tell you, it sent me for a ringer, right? So, we're in the ER, and the doctors are delivering, Becky's having a C-section, she's laying on the table, and I'm in there, and I've got the full garb on, I look pretty good, you know, I've got the the fish net or the thing net, and the they didn't make me put a beard net on, but I have like the full blue, like, surgery outfit, and as I'm in there, uh, they they get they get Juby out and she's beautiful and they lay her over on on Beck so Beck and her can connect, and then all of a sudden the doctors start to look kind of concerned because Juby's not looking the color that she's supposed to be, and so the doctors are like, okay, that's good, and they whisk her away and they put her over on this table and they start doctoring on her and they start to tell me what's going on that her her lungs are not filling up, they're not getting big, they're not expanding. And so at this time, I'm in the ER, and I'm just at my, like, I'm already freaked out because my wife is on the table, right? And she's, she's just had surgery, so there's like, she's open there, and I'm split between these two people, and I'm freaking out. And I, I'm the type of guy that I, I kind of do it when I preach, too. I'm sorry, guys, but I started pacing. I say, anybody pace? Like, when you're stressed out and you don't know what to do, you just kind of do this number, like you're just kind of freaking out and you don't know what to do with your nervous energy. And I began to pace and I, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was at my limitation. I was completely helpless in that moment while my baby is sitting there on the table and I'm watching her and she can't draw a full breath. And in that moment, it occurred to me to pray. After all my pacing, I thought, you know, maybe I should pray here. 
And so, like, with tears in my eyes, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, my wife's over here, and my baby's over here. She's not drawn, and she's looking at this color, and they've got the, our, the mask on her, and it's like, and so I, I just, I, I stopped, and I just began to pray, Lord Jesus, I, I am at my limit. I cannot, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to be there for my wife. I don't know how to be there for my child. I, I am completely at my wit's end. And then she starts to draw breath. And in that moment, I'm thinking, God, I'm so thankful that when I can't do something, that you can. And when I'm at a place beyond any of my capability, that I can rely solely on you, Lord Jesus. And there's so many things in life, isn't there, that the first place that we should go is often the last place that we visit. And so often we think that we have these little methods like pacing, and we handle our stressful lives, we can handle these things, and, and we do it in our own power, and then when we find the end of our own power, then we go to prayer. But what if we were a people who said, I know that my God is powerful, and that I can pray to him, and he hears me, and he impacts my life. See, today, we're going to read about a passage where the disciples began to try to do things in their own power disconnected from Christ, and they're going to find out that they're in way, way, way over their heads without Jesus. Let's read that passage here. If you got your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark, Mark 9, 14. It says, and when they came to the disciples, so this is after the Mount of Transfiguration, James and Peter are coming with Jesus. They're coming back down to the other disciples, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And when it's, uh, whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. I want you to highlight that, underline that. And they were not able. And he answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? And how long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it, is, it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can't, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd came, to get, came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him, Terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand 
and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus responds, and he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, by anything but prayer. I feel like this is an appropriate time to go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, would you help us to be a people who don't try to do things in our own power, but Lord, that we would be a people who run to you in all things via prayer. God, I pray that we would constantly, never endingly be in prayer and conversation with you, Lord Jesus, so that it is not us who ministers to this world, but it is you. And so God, we pray that in your name, Jesus, amen. So the reality of faith in Jesus is that it can fight the battles that we can't see with our eyes but face every single day. Every single day. Do we face things that are sometimes beyond our power? Do any of you feel in control at all? Sometimes it feels like everything is out of control. Well, the disciples, you can imagine at one point in their history, they were able to go out in Jesus' name and cast out these demons. This was like uh, supposed to be just another run of the mill. The things that we've always done should just work like they've always worked. But the disciples were unable to cast this demon out. And so for us, and they couldn't, and neither today can we. And I want us to look at a few things from this idea that the disciples are found unable to cast out this demon, to, de- to deal with the effects of, the- of this spirit in this little boy. The first thing I want you to see is self-sufficiency is the enemy of faith. It's actually not fear. Any ever, any ever heard that, that fear is the opposite of faith? It's actually self-sufficiency. For a believer, self-sufficiency, when you believe that you can do anything in your own power, which, by the way, is the message that our world loves to tell you. Anybody ever been told, oh, you could do anything if you just set your mind to it? You ever been told that? What is that message preaching? Self-sufficiency, isn't it? Depend on yourself. And self-sufficiency. We have limitations because of our flesh. We walk in his authority, but not without him. When we're believers and we're facing the things of this earth, we know that our struggle, we have a passage that says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but what is it against? Powers and principalities, right? How many of you know exactly what you're doing when you begin to fight in the spirit? Anybody? Just confidently raise your hand right now, right? When you're fighting in the spirit. No, man, it is, it, is a, it is a warfare that even when Daniel got a look in the book of Daniel, what was going on in the spiritual realm, that there's this whole battle and there's this whole war going on that is beyond us. And when Daniel got a quick glimpse in the book of Daniel, what happened to him? He was overwhelmed and sick for two weeks because he got a glimpse of the warfare that's going on all around us that we cannot see. And brothers and sisters, I have to tell you that in that warfare, we have no power apart from Christ. If we're going to walk in and try to fight in the flesh this spiritual battle, this spiritual war that's going on in this world, we will come out like the disciples, completely ineffective, completely ineffective. See, the, earth, the earthly world says that if we try hard enough or think out of the box enough or if we watch enough YouTube instructional videos, 
that we will have the skills and the know-how to get ourselves out of the bind that we are in. Simply put, we can't. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot help ourselves. The promise of our culture that you can do anything if you set your mind to it is absolute garbage for the believer. We are people that are dependent in relationship with Jesus. An earthly worldview always swings towards self-reliance and a lack of power in the Lord. How many of you, you love rhythm and you love habit because you can turn your brain off? Anybody? How many of you love when you know what you're doing? You can go to work now and you don't even have to think about it. You just do it automatically. You ever done that? Or there's a task that you've done that you just do it automatically. You don't have to think about it anymore. Many of us, that's driving. When you were a teenager, right, you remember how much brain power it required your teenage brain to be able to learn how to drive? You ever gone back and tried to teach a teenager how to drive? You can see their whole brain. You like you can see the veins in their mind, like you know, like they're using a hundred percent of their, their capacity to learn how to drive. But you don't have to do that anymore, do you? You're on automatic pilot. But how many times when you're driving has that automatic pilot got you in a rough spot? I, I went back home to Sheridan. Uh, or back to Sheridan to visit this last weekend, and um, I, it, it amazed me how much I still had those automatic responses for turns. And my wife looks at me, she says, where are you going? It's like, oh, man, like, I just did what I had always done when I lived in Sheridan, right? We get into that kind of automatic pilot when we do Christianity and stop thinking about it, when it becomes more about showing up on Sunday and doing the Christian walk, but it doesn't become, it, it begins to progress away from relationship. And when we tell Jesus, Jesus, I know how to do this Christian life, I don't need to consult you today. Any of you been, ever been there? There's this automatic pilot that the, the disciples, they said, we know how to do this. We've already done this. We've cast out demons. Jesus has sent us out in the power. We know how to do this. And they came against it, and it was like, all of a sudden, we need to realize that relationship is far more powerful, that relationship with God is not a formula, and it's not an incantation. It's not just a prayer that we can pray. How, so many times when I talk about spiritual warfare with people, they think, if I just say the right words in Jesus' name, I'm going to talk about a group of guys that just tried to use Jesus' name as an incantation, and the Bible really tells us don't do that, that we need to be people who have relationship with God, relationship with Jesus, and so we're going to him. We're dependent on him. We don't do these things in our own power. It has to be about intimacy with God and not an incantation or formula. It's not A plus B. Christianity is not A plus B equals C. If I do enough good works and if I read enough of the Bible, then I will just automatically obey. That's not how it works, does it? You can read the Bible. In fact, the Pharisees at the day knew the Bible better than anybody else, and they completely missed Jesus as the Messiah, didn't they? Because they weren't about relationship with him. They were about rules, and they were about practices. You can live a Christian life and be completely separated from relation, in relationship to God, can't you? You can have this guise that you're living a Christian life, but never talk to him at all. When we meet limitations, instead of pressing into Christ, what do we do? Well, there's a lot of different automatic things. We, as the disciples, I believe, were probably doing is they back into precedent. 
Uh, meaning that, well, this worked before for us. How many of you have relied on your experiences before? And that's like your go-to. You're like, this happened for, this worked for me last time. It's got to work the same way this time. And you do it, and it fails. So the thing about this life is it's not required to work out the same way every time, is it? In the spiritual realm, rarely do things work the same way twice. You need to hear that. Rarely in the spiritual realm do things work the same way twice. God is not obligated to deliver us in the same way he did last time. Man, we have songs about that today. You ever heard the song on the radio, Do It Again? You know, God is not obligated to do it again. He's got far more amazing miracles and plans. He doesn't have to do the same thing twice because he already paid the price for us on the cross. It means that he can work with each of us individually. You ever noticed when we share testimonies up here that everybody's story is unique and different? There isn't a cut and dry method to relationship with God, is there? We have by faith, by grace through faith, and, and, but that can look in so many different ways in different contexts. So seeing and leaning on what we've seen before is not a good way to walk in relationship with God. He is not a formula, and he is not an incantation. I always go back to the passage in the Old Testament when Elijah is confronting the priests of Baal. You guys know this story? Elijah confronts the priests of Baal, and, and they have this altar, and it's kind of like this competition. Who's God's, who, whose God is more powerful? And the Baals, they get out there, and they do what they know. Uh, so they have this like kind of process for pleading with Baal, and they start to cut themselves and plead with their God to come and to light this altar on fire. And Elijah just kind of laughs because he knows that he has relationship with God. He talks with the living God. They were trying to plead and do these things to get a God's attention. Elijah just had to say, hey, God. And it, that whole altar lit on fire. So there's this idea that, that we have relationship with God. I think many of us, and even in the Catholic tradition, there's so much tradition that oftentimes it becomes an incantation. So many times, if you're here and you have a, a Catholic rosary, and, and so many times I talk to Catholics and they like they pray the rosary. I want you to know that you could pray the rosary over and over and over and over, and you can say the same words over and over and over and have them be absolutely and totally meaningless if you don't have relationship with the living God, meaning you talk with him and he talks to you. And so that rosary is going to do you no good. By the way, the cross, a lot of people wear the cross, like you, the, the necklaces, and when I talk to them, so often they tell me, I feel so protected by this cross. And in that time, I just want to plead with them. That's a necklace. The enemy looks at that and laughs because Jesus is where the authority is. Jesus is where the presence of God is. And so if you think you're going to stand up in front of the enemy and say, hey, look at my little necklace. Is some kind of protecting? If it reminds you about Jesus, awesome. But the power is not in that necklace. It's not in an incantation. It's not in a set of words of prayer. It is in relationship with the living God. And here's where the disciples, they were, they were relying on their own ability to compensate. I think a lot of us, we think if we just try harder, if we just do more, if you've ever been in recovery, when we talk to our recovery brothers and sisters, you tell them just to get better. And how discouraging, brothers and sisters, is that? It's because you can't just get better. You need to be transformed from the inside out and become a new creation in Jesus. 
You can't just start doing good things and be changed. You have to cling to the, the feet of Jesus and have walk with him. A lot of us in Christianity today think if we just know enough of the Bible, I can think my way around this. We have different videos that show us how to have life hacks. You ever seen these videos? It's like, what's a life hack? It's like a way to cut corners. It's a way to get through something, right? Life hacks. I think many of us are looking for spirituality hacks that don't require us to be dependent on Jesus. Knowledge is not going to get you out of this. I think many of us then, when we come to the end of ourselves, instead of going to Jesus, what do we do? We get frustrated, and this is where I say we begin to avoid Christianity or Christians or the Bible, don't we? We just begin to try to avoid God altogether. You ever been there where you realize that you can't do this on your own, but instead of going to God out of whatever reason, you just decide to ignore faith altogether? Faith says it must be addressed in the power of Christ. And I love that you find the disciples. When Jesus comes down, this amazing moment in, of the transfiguration where some of the disciples get to see Jesus revealed for who he is, as we talked about. Where do you find the other disciples? What are they doing? They're arguing. And they're arguing with scholars. You ever tried to argue with somebody smarter than you? Like, that happens to me a lot. It doesn't take a lot to be smarter than me. But um, that I, I see the disciples, and it's like, when it doesn't work like how it used to work, what do they do? They start pointing the finger. They start pointing the finger at all kinds of, we do this today. If God doesn't answer our prayers the way that we want, or if we don't have the power spiritually that we were hoping to have, I've heard Christians say, well, they just don't have enough faith. That's why God didn't answer their prayer. You ever been told that? There's a vein of Christianity that says, if you just have enough faith, Jesus, God will answer every prayer exactly how you want it to be answered. That's just not the truth. That's not the truth. And so, but in that vein, then the fingers, the finger pointing starts, right? I, I'll never forget, I was in a church, and we had this amazing woman who was dying of cancer, and she was, with her last year, she just devoted herself to preaching the gospel and leading others to faith. She said, this is my highest goal. And at the end of that, we got to see all these people, they were baptized. And I'll never forget, she was handed a flyer by somebody in our town who said that if she would just have enough faith, she could be healed from this cancer. And as elders, we wanted to listen to James. And so what did we do? We, we anointed her with oil and we prayed for her to be healed. And you know what God's answer was? It was no. And I just remember hearing this, these comments like, oh, the church just didn't have enough faith for her to be healed. That is so shameful, so shameful that we would begin to turn around and start pointing at each other's faith saying, if you just had enough faith, it would move. But no, it, it's not about having enough faith. It's about walking with Jesus and walking in relationship with him. And sometimes, as I've said before, God's answer is yes, amen, that's awesome. Sometimes his answer is no, and sometimes his answer is not yet. Those are the three answers that God can give in prayer. Mankind is, has achieved so many amazing things. Sometimes I think we get really bought into the idea. Brothers and sisters, as we move into a world where AI, have you heard about this stuff? Artificial intelligence starts to take over a lot of different things. We need to remember that that is just an accomplishment of mankind and has no spiritual power. 
We're going to need to remember that in the world we're walking into. They were not staying loyal to the relationship with Jesus. They wanted the power without the presence. Have you ever wanted the power of God without the presence of God? You ever been guilty of that? Where you wanted the power of God without the presence of God? God, if you'll just say yes to my prayers, I can go and live my life. That word in that passage, unbelieving, unbelieving generation, it connotates this idea of loyalty. It's a relational loyalty. It's not just believing, but it's the sense of commitment to a person. So when he says, you unbelieving generation, he's saying to the disciples, you were disloyal. You were not loyal to relationship with me. And that's why it didn't work out. I always think that God is going to do what God has planned. I I think of another passage in Numbers 22. You guys ever heard of this crazy guy named Balaam? Balaam was the guy that a donkey talked to him in the Old Testament. If you don't know about that, look it up. It's super fun. But Balaam was asked at one point in Numbers 22 to curse Israel, God's people, but he couldn't. He could only speak blessing. And so the local peoples were trying to get this guy, Balaam, who was like some kind of spiritual guru, to speak a curse, but he couldn't. He could only speak a blessing over his people. I think that's really important to know that God will always accomplish his will in our lives. And sometimes no matter how hard, and this is the cool part for a Christian, no matter how hard somebody comes against you, you need to understand that they can't outdo the unfolding plan of God in your life. Even when you come against you, can I get an amen? That you can't do the unfolding, undo the unfolding plan of God in your life. Balaam could only speak a blessing when he was asked to speak a curse. The sooner we come to the end of ourselves, the better. In Christianity, we're going to live a life in full dependence and submission to Christ. And it is so good. Faith is not just believing something exists. It's a loyalty. It's a loyalty. The meaning of that word is a loyalty. So the next thing for us that we see in this passage is that when Jesus walks in, we need to understand that some things only Jesus can address. This demon-possessed boy, can you imagine as his parent how stressed out you would be? You can't be around a, a, a flame. You can't be around a pool because this he'll just get thrown in. He'll throw himself in. You can't trust him. You have to watch him all the time. I've got four kids now. I'm stressed out trying to make sure that they don't hurt themselves. Anybody there? And so there's this sense that you can imagine the stress of the, these parents trying to constantly keep this kid safe and the frustration when the disciples couldn't. By the way, God's people are supposed to be like Jesus, amen? But are we very good at that all the time? No, but often we get that backwards. We assume Jesus is like his people, and that assumption will lead to a lot of hard heartache. If you're here and you're at church today, you need to understand we're a group of broken people who are sinful and in desperate need of Jesus every moment of our lives. And so, There's no such thing as a perfect church. There's no such thing. We are trying our best to be like Jesus in this life, but we're going to fail at that pursuit, especially if we do it apart from him. But by the way, that doesn't, does that reflect on Jesus's perfection? So many people tell me I don't go to church because of the people. You ever heard that? I'm like, hey man, we're all recovering hypocrites and you can be too. But we, we pursue the perfection of Jesus. We're going to fail 
but thank goodness that he stays perfect despite our, man, where we fall short. Never let people keep you from being a part of his church. Never let people be keep you from being a part of his church. When you walk in earthly authority, you get earthly results. Earthly results. We have a passage, John 15, 5, that says, sorry, that Jesus is the vine. For a Christian, it means that everything is to be connected to Jesus. And apart from him, this is John 15, 5, apart from him, I can do nothing. Now, of you, when I read that sometimes, people look at me and they go, well, wait a second. Like, I woke up today. That was something. Like, I got dressed today. That was something. I can do something. Well, so what is Jesus meaning when he says, apart from him, you can do nothing? Well, we're experiencing it with the disciples, right? They were completely unable to address this demon when they were doing it in their own power. So when we talk about the spiritual power of Christ, apart from him in the spirit in our walk with God, we cannot do anything. John 15, let me just read it. John 15, 4 through 7. Jesus says, abide. Everybody say that word with me. Abide. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that, uh, he, it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. But I want you to hear what happens for somebody who abides. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like branches and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So abiding is the catalyst for power in our prayer, isn't it? Abiding, meaning presence, being in the presence of God, having relationship with him is what gives power to our prayers. Works only as long as you can. So like in earthly means, have you ever noticed that when you, uh, by the way, like when I, when I do something in earthly means, does it wear out? You ever done something and have it undone like five minutes later? Like when I clean my house and I walk out of the room and I come back in and it's just like, whew, like the laundry baskets over, like there's like kids hanging on the ceiling and like, I just had this place polished up, right? When we do things in earthly, by earthly means, it has temporary result, doesn't it? But we want to be a church that produces more than just earthly results. We want to be a heavenly people that are heavenly minded. That means by, when we do things by heavenly means, it produces heavenly results. Because earthly means we know that rust and time can wear on the things that we build in the flesh, can't they? How many of you have lived long enough to see things that at one time you built them and you were super proud of them and they looked good? And then after 20 years, you were like, what happens? I have to completely replace this or completely redo this. When you walk in Jesus' authority, you get heavenly results. This is the fruits of the Spirit in a believer. When we are tied to the vine, when we're abiding in Jesus, there's fruits of the Spirit flow out of our connection to the vine. How many of you have ever tried to just construct or build a fruit? Where's my farmers out there? Have you ever just tried to take the materials, like you take some sugar, try to put those things together, and you build a fruit? Can you do that? You can't. No matter how hard you want to, you have to grow a fruit, don't you? And if you're like me, it'll probably die. But 
If you want to grow a fruit, you have to be connected. You have to wait for it to grow. It has to grow out of the ground from the vine. And it has to be connected to the vine, right? I've tried this. I don't recommend doing that. But if you want something to grow, don't chop it off and throw it on a shelf and expect it to grow. And so Jesus is just saying, like, we need to be connected to him. What happens when we're not connected to him and we're not growing in him? There's a cautionary tale for us that called the sons of Sceva in Acts chapter 19. This happens again. It first happens to the disciples where they were ineffective in the spiritual realm. But then we have Acts 19, 13 through 16. Then some itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you. So what are they saying? They're using Jesus' name as an incantation. They say, I adjure you by the, by, the, by the Jesus who Paul proclaims. So they have this little saying, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them. Here, here's how effective we are in our own power when we're just using incantation and just living Christian life. What, are the, what is the demon or what does the evil spirit respond to these guys when they're just saying, get out in Jesus' name? Jesus, I know, is what they say. And Paul, I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out that house naked and wounded. I had a couple of friends in Casper who thought it would be a good idea. They were new in the faith that they just ran around and started trying to cast demons out. You know why this passage is in the Bible? To discourage us from doing that. Because you are warring in an area that you don't understand. And you have no authority and you have no power if it's not in Jesus. When we do things in our own power, not only does it, have, uh, does it not have a heavenly power and authority, but Jesus is actually insulted. I want you to think about this. In the passage, do you notice when Jesus says, uh, when the guy says, if you can help us, help us. If you can help us, and what does Jesus respond? If I can, if I can help you. Do you kind of hear that? Like, oh, man, I, I have, a, I always, for some reason, that passage makes me think of Darth Vader. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Where's my Star Wars fans out there? I see you. <laughs> have you ever been offended that someone refused to trust you with something important where they didn't think you could do it? When I was a young guy, my dad um, always trying to be helpful. Oftentimes, instead of teaching me how to do something, he would push me out of the way and do it for me. You guys ever have somebody like that in your life? And he was well-meaning. To me, though, this always communicated that he didn't trust me to do it on my own. There was a lack of trust there. And yeah, I was a junior high boy, so he was probably right. I would hurt myself, you know. But Jesus is not a junior high boy. Jesus really can be trusted and really does have the power to affect our lives. And so there's this sense that when we ask God for big things, he still can say yes, no, or not yet. But all the while, we need to remember that he can do everything we ask. It's not a matter of can he. It's a matter of will he. It's not a matter of can he. It's a matter of will he. We really can't, but a refusal to rely on Jesus is a disloyal insult to the power of Christ. If you can, Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. This made me think of a passage in Matthew 8, 10. If you remember, there was this centurion who had a servant who was sick. Do you remember this? 
in the Bible. And the centurion comes to Jesus, and it's like the exact opposite, opposite situation. Somebody who's not a Jew comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I know you have authority. And he says, I am, I am one who has authority, and I know if I tell this troop to do it, they do it. And so Jesus, so the centurion says, would you heal my servant? All you got to say is yes, and it will be done because I know your authority. I understand that you can do it. And what did Jesus say about that centurion? Do you remember in that passage? He said, I have not found faith like this in all of Israel. It's like in an exact opposite situation. See, that centurion understood that Jesus really can do all things that we ask. It's not a matter of can Jesus help me. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him at the centurion, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And here we find the disciples lacking in that area of understanding that God can do all things and that they need to abide in him. So how do we walk in great faith and dependence on Jesus? The passage ends with that idea that we need to be a people who what? Look at the very end of the passage. These only come out by prayer. What is prayer? What is prayer? Prayer is intimacy and conversation and relationship with the God of the universe. Prayer is essential, is essential to relationship. What you believe about God will affect how you pray. If you believe God is some kind of cosmic taskmaster, then you will view prayer as a task. Anybody there? Where your prayer life becomes more of a, a list of, ha- of have-tos instead of get-tos. Our prayer life reflects what we believe about God. If you view God as a good and loving father, you will run to him with everything. I think about my kids. If they run to me with a soda pop and they can't open it, it's my favorite time. Because now dad gets to show them how strong I am. You know, and he walks up. I just get to walk up. Can you give me this soda? And my wife says, don't give it to him. It's full of sugar. And I go, how can I say no? Because now I get to go, yeah, here you go. Because there's this sense that I, he asked me, now I get to answer that, that request. And God, our, our, same, our relationship with him is like when we bring stuff to him, whether it's big or whether it's small. By the way, how many of you are guilty of praying, um, of praying for a parking spot? You ever pray for a parking spot? Sometimes at church on Sunday mornings? Did you guys know it's okay to pray for everything, the big things and the little things? God wants to be a God whose people come to him like he's a loving father. And you know who receives the praise, the honor, and the glory when we become a people dependent on God in the big and the little? If we're so dependent on God that we're praying for parking spots, it says that we trust God for everything, everything, everything. Prayer, brothers and sisters, is a flesh killer and a self-reliant shatterer. So we need to uh, we need to go to him first. Instead of trying to handle things and then failing, we need to be a people who go to him first. Not just do the Christian thing that we've always done, but we need to go to him first in relationship. We need to pray like a son. We've all been made sons and daughters of God, amen, by what Jesus did on the cross. You've received Jesus' status as a son uh, or a daughter of God. So how can you talk to God the Father? As if you're one of his kids as if you're one of his kids. And just like me loving to answer my kids' requests whenever I can, unless it's too much sugar, so much so God is ready to answer the prayers of his people when they ask. He's ready. 
and he receives the glory. When you pray, you are going in the power of the heavenly instead of the earthly. So prayer is a self-reliance remedy. So so what? What does that mean for us, Pastor? Hey, would you be people to go to God first this week, this month, this year in prayer? Would you pray like a son or a daughter? You don't have to have some big, like, theological words. You're talking to the pastor that uses words like dude in his sermons. You don't have to use some big fancy word when you talk to God. He's a father who loves you. You talk to him like a son would a father. And that's how you unleash the power of God. At the end of this, Jesus is able. And the disciples were getting a strong and urgent reminder that heavenly kingdom expands when we are connected to Jesus in relationship. Small groups, small group leaders, tell us, here's a question to uh, labor over in your small groups. Tell us about a time you did it in your own power and it failed. And then how can I become less reliant on myself and more reliant on Jesus? I'm going to go ahead and have our elders come up. We're going to go into a time of communion. So elders, if you would come up, we're going to begin to pass out the elements for communion. As we do, communion is an opportunity for intimacy with Jesus. It's not just a task that we do as Christians, but it's a time to sit down and be present with God who is with us. Do you guys know he's in the room with us now? And so I just want to, would you bow your heads, close your eyes, would you spend a minute of intimacy in prayer with God? And as you do, the elders will begin to pass out the elements. Brothers and sisters, if you would... It was on that day that Jesus, before the cross, he sat down with the disciples and he took of the bread and he broke it and he said that this is my body broken for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. So let us take of the body of Christ and let us remember and be present with him. This isn't just something that has meaning in the past, but it means everything for us today. Would you take of the body of Christ? Thank you, Lord. And we know that Jesus then said that there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And what that meant was that he was going to shed his blood for us on our behalf to make us right with God. That means he paid the penalty and gave us his righteousness and took upon himself our punishment. And so now when we take of this cup, we remember the blood spilt for us by our Lord and our, G- our Savior, Christ. Would you now do this in remembrance of Christ? Father God, I just pray for our church, Lord, that we would be an abiding church, that we would be a church that is all about clinging to you, God, in all that we do, in the spiritual things, God, in everything that we do, when we go to work, when we go to school, when we do homework, when we do the menial tasks of of home life, Lord, I pray that we would do it all in the power of you and, and that we would battle in the spirit connected to you, divine. Lord, we pray that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, would you go in the presence and the power of Jesus Christ? Thanks for being here this morning. Have a wonderful week.